Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Actually, what we're talking about here is human behavior, and therefore, employee behavior is similar. As a leader, you need to be displaying the actions that you want your people to say and do, and not just talk about it. These are all sort of basics. There should be part of the mantra. And again, companies doing it, doing it on a consistent basis, find success. So today, Colin, we are going to be talking about the employee side of customer experience. So we, we normally spend a lot of time talking about the principles and best practices of designing customer employees, but an integral part of that obviously is the employee side, the employees who engage with those customers and make those experiences happen. So you, as I understand, have just recently published a book on this topic. I have. So I'm going to look forward to grilling you in my best Barbara Walters impression about the book. And then we also have a special guest, Michael Lowenstein, who's also written a book that is engaging with this general topic. So why don't you introduce us to Michael? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. So yes, I've launched a new book called um, Happy Employees Make Happy Customers. Michael beat me to the punch. Michael, by the way, is one of our thought leadership principles at Beyond Philosophy. So good to have you on, Michael. Thanks for joining. And Michael's our employee engagement, employee ambassadorship expert. So I thought it'd be good for Michael to join in this overall conversation. So shall I give you an outline of what the new book's about? Yeah. Why don't we start with both of you kind of giving us the thumbnail sketch of the books, and then we'll talk about how they intersect and how they both contribute to our understanding of customer experience. So Colin, why don't you go first? Yeah. Okay. So this all started for me back when I was at uh, British Telecom. Back in the day, I used to have this phrase I used to use a lot, which was, happy people give you happy customers. I've changed the book title slightly to happy employees make happy customers. But I guess the big wow for me or the big takeaway for me has suddenly been to realize a few years ago that when you're talking about customer experience and all the things that we talk about on this podcast, it's not a big stretch to start saying, actually, what we're talking about here is human behavior and therefore employee behavior is similar. And what we know from the early research in this employee engagement side of things, that if you have happy employees, the chances are you're going to have much more happy customers. But the issue for me then becomes, actually, how do you combine those things together? So how can you start using some of the tools and techniques that we use not with customers but use them with employees as well. So questions like, you know, what's the experience that you're trying to deliver to your employees? Questions like, 
what emotions are you trying to evoke in your in your employees and we've talked a lot about on these podcasts you know about what's the value you know what value do you gain from your customers but the same starts to apply for employees which is you know what part of their experience drives most value for you and this is a subject that I started looking into a number of years ago. And Michael and I have talked long and hard about this. Michael, in fact, uh, teaches on this subject now. So, Michael, do you want to give your sort of spin on, on this? Yeah, I think a lot of what Colin covers is, I think, very progressive. Where we're looking to help our clients is understand the emotional components of the employee experience and how they are linked to the emotional components of the customer experience such that you literally have an emotional hierarchy. You know, you're striving for happy employees through training, through reward, recognition, etc., mentoring, the kinds of enrichment that you can get. As an employee, you're also striving to build on that to what I describe as commitment ending an ambassadorship. And the commitment that I talk about is commitment to the value proposition, commitment to the organization itself, commitment to fellow employees, and most importantly, and I think critically for companies that are stakeholder-centric and customer-centric, commitment to the customers. And this is where a lot of opportunities lie. We can see companies doing an excellent job in this. And we also just with many of our other clients, we see a spectrum. Some of them have, you know, are kind of on the way and some of them have a ways to go. So, you know, we've looked at this pretty clearly and, you know, we have techniques and approaches and methods for helping uh, clients kind of ascend that ladder, if you like. Yeah, and I think that commitment part is a key part because that for me starts to, when you start to turn around and say, well, what drives value, okay? Well, part of value is, are your employees actually committed to the customer? So if I give you a couple of anecdotes, Ryan, back in the day when I was in corporate life before I started Beyond Philosophy, the company I was working for had a value or one of the company values, which was actually the first value of six values that we had. And it was, we put customers first. Now, it was the very last thing that we did. Yep. We did everything possible not to put the customer first and make sure that the organization was put first. And guess what type of customer experience was then given to, to customers. So classically, there's a difference in the, the thought process of, you know, we put customers first, and I'm sure that many people will have sort of similar type of sentiments and values and stuff like that. Whether they do or not is a totally different kettle of fish. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So there are several different ways that customer experience programs can go wrong. You know, sometimes management just doesn't recognize it as an issue. Like, we don't care about customer experience. We're in a different kind of business. I would suspect, though, that there's a much larger pool where somebody up the food chain recognizes the problem, they want to devote resources to solving the problem, and the breakdown happens somewhere, as we're saying, at the employee level, where just the incentives are not there, or the employees are not sufficiently engaged, or they're not sufficiently you know, motivated. So 
where do you start? Like, where should organizations start if they're trying to diagnose these opportunities for getting employees to be more engaged, more committed, happier? Yeah. So the first thing for me is one of the things, again, we talk about when we're talking to our clients about customer experience is key question, what's the experience that you're trying to deliver to your customers? So let's assume that you want your customers to feel trust, cared for, and pleased, okay? So that's a sort of the output. You want your customers in that interaction to feel that they can trust you, that you care for them, and they feel pleased. The question, therefore, before to get there, you have to go, well, you know, are those emotions the ones that drive value for you? Yeah? And, you know, yes or no. Do they actually drive value for your organization or not? But where it fails is that linkage to employees. So ideally, what you want to have is you then want to have an employee experience that is also that the employees feel that the organization trusts them, cares for them, and feels pleased. Does that make sense? So you're lining the internal organization up with the external, you know, how that gets delivered to customers as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Do you find when you talk to companies that this idea of applying kind of a customer experience framework or approach to their employees is kind of a radical idea that they've they've never considered before or do a lot of them think they're already doing that and they're in fact not doing it in my experience and i'll be interested in what michael says as well but in my experience then it's the organizations who are more progressive that understand it so i was only chatting to a customer the other day who was basically saying yeah i totally see what you're talking about you know and therefore what we're actually talking about here is human behavior and whether it's customer human behavior or whether it's employee human behavior the same principles apply because guess what the customer and the employee you know are both human beings unless you run one of those cat cafes which are becoming more popular (laughs) yeah i I, I think you're right yeah that's definitely not human yeah but yeah so you know i think the more progressive organizations are because they're seeing the linkage between the two but um, Michael, I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, Ryan, you asked a great question. You really did about, you know, do companies think they're doing it and are they actually doing it? And one of the challenges, and I think also, I think if we look at it in an appropriate way, one of the real opportunities is in linkage. The challenge that you have is co- as companies become more customer focused, the employee kind of gets shunted off to the side and they don't really, these organizations, because of the traditional way that HR has looked at employees, they look at employees in terms of fit, productivity, and alignment, which is all fine, but it's, you know, in terms of making the connection, the linkage, if you like, with other areas of the business, marketing, customer support, sales, operations in general and, you know, creating this high level focus on the customer, this is kind of where it's missing. We've seen, and, you know, anecdotally, I'll give you a quick example. In one of the pieces of research that we have done where we've looked very specifically at the employee experience with a very strong focus on customer value, 
delivery and you know how that impacts the employee we've seen situations like the following where training took place for new employees under a year and then after a year a one year to five years five year to ten years the employee was kind of a forgotten element hr was kind of assuming well these people are now in the fold they get it it works they're focused on the customer and guess what they weren't. And yet, you know, I, HR was, you know, felt they were doing the right thing. And the limitations that they had were because they didn't create the linkage, if you like. You know, going back to your question, I think it's a very good one. A lot of times companies think they're doing it. But as HR starts to realize that they have more of a holistic role with regard to value delivery for all the stakeholders, you know, this is beginning to change. I think the other thing is, it goes back, Ryan, to that question about, you know, what's driving value? And everyone would have heard my story and from a customer perspective that, you know, Disney know that people... When they ask the, their customers what they want to eat to a, a theme park, that Disney know that people say they'd like to have an option of a salad, but Disney also know that people don't eat salads when they go to theme parks. So, same applies with employees in the sense of an employee will tell you that the thing that's most important to them is, you know, salary, yeah, or the benefits that they get, and actually in in research that again that we've done with clients and I'm looking at some now that you know that actually the most important thing that drove most value was do I feel I can be true to myself at work yeah or my true self at work should I say so you know am I proud to tell people that I work for in this case the call center yeah am I involved in decisions that affect my work and so when you go you know, and actually, salary, it's important, but it's not the key driver. It's more about those things. And therefore, again, understanding those things, if you're now trying to create some output of, you know, of value, like employee satisfaction or employee engagement or commitment or, you know, their knowledge or tenure or whatever else, what you realize, it's those things that are driving the employee behavior you know so where the manager should be focusing on where the leader should be focusing on is allowing people to be their true self at work not just focused on what benefits they get there is that interesting parallel between customers who will always tell you that price is driving their decision and employees who always tell you that salary is driving their decision but you know anecdotally it's almost a cliche where there are people who make next to nothing and yet love their job and can't get enough of it. And then people who make gobs of money and are miserable at their job. Whether it's employees or customers, Ryan, what we find is that, and this goes squarely to what Colin was just saying, that there's a big difference between what customers say, and particularly with regard to stated importance, what they really mean. And then when you get down to dimensional research and go past the anecdotal, what they really do, what do they do in the workplace? What do they, what do customers do in the marketplace? And what we find is because of the emotional drivers of value, there are often very profound differences 
between statements and behaviors. And so we think it's important for companies, particularly if they're on this road to create linkage and to create stronger value propositions, to have a better understanding of that. Because if they do, then they can build on those insights and create, you know, really effective initiatives. So let me ask you then, what are the most common drivers of happiness and or engagement by employees? Or does it vary a lot by kind of company and sector? Do different companies attract different types of workers and so therefore need to provide different specific emotional or other benefits to make them happy or engaged? Yeah, you know, I think there's some chestnuts in here, but, you know, you hear words like transparency, inclusion, trust, enablement, empowerment, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and particularly if it's built into the values of the organization, if it's part of the DNA, where you find organizations who have done that from the beginning, they tend to be very successful because the same kind of thinking kind of links over to customers. And again, I'll come back to the idea of commitment. When you're transparent with employees, typically you're doing the same thing with customers. Where you're creating trust among employees, you're doing the same thing with customers. Again, creating value. These are all sort of basics. There should be part of the mantra. And again, companies doing it and doing it on a consistent basis find success. And I think the other area I would focus on that sort of drives value or drives that happiness, et cetera, is it's just the sort of what we would call the bonding part of things. So, you know, this bit about I'm proud to tell people where I work in this part of the organization. I enjoy coming to work. And we've talked about this one before. I feel like I can be my true self at work. You know, my department uses employee feedback to make improvements. So it's that feeling of, I tell you what, Ryan, it's a bit like Apple. You wondered how I would get Apple into this conversation, didn't you? Yeah, no, I was, I was waiting for it. There's a side <laughs> pool going on, Colin. You may not know this, but people in Vegas are betting each time a podcast comes out. Is it going to be minute seven? Is it going to be minute 12? <laughs> Somebody just made a $1,000 gone. <laughs> So what I mean by that is it goes back to the club, the group, the tribe, you know, inclusion, basically. If you can have, and therefore leadership to create that, but if you can have a a good leader that creates that type of bonding and affiliation, right? Yeah, affiliation. The word I was thinking of is, is again, the commitment, okay? But you want the commitment, you want the commitment to the customer. You don't want the commitment to the self. Does that make sense? Mm. So here's an interesting thing. When Michael and I have done this working customers, what we really are surprised with is that when you look at employee satisfaction surveys, few of them mention the customer. Hmm. So is this part of, you know, is your part of the organization committed to provide a great customer experience? Are you committed to provide a good customer experience? Most employee satisfaction surveys today do not mention customer one bit. And again, that's a big, you know, and then again, we talk about it in my book. You know, that's a big statement of, 
how organizations are not focused around the customer. And when you start looking at those types of things, it really does throw up some interesting areas. Probably half of the, you know, half of the elements of the research that we do, Ryan, look at not only focus on customer, but the support for focus on customer. I think all three of us are in agreement that we believe strongly in the concept and the execution of servant leadership. But servant leadership has to be, you know, for a focus. And the focus typically is not abstract. It's very direct. It's providing stakeholder value. How do we do that? Well, you know, linkage is one strong way of making sure that happens. Hi, this is Colin Shaw. I'm really pleased to announce the launch of my seventh book, which I've called Happy Employees Make Happy Customers. The book is about the interconnection between happy employees and a great customer experience. I explain how you can go about building a great employee experience that drives a great customer experience. For my podcast listeners, I'm also pleased to provide you with a special offer of a third off the regular price. All you have to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash happy. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash happy. And in the promotional code, simply type happy podcast. That's happy podcast. I really hope you enjoy the read. So let me throw cold water on this whole thing. Yeah, please do. I'm in an organization. I'm buying into this completely. I think these are great concepts and great things to do. But really what this boils down to is culture and culture establishment and culture change. And Colin and I have talked on the podcast before, and Michael, I'm sure you know this as well as anyone, changing the culture of an organization is one of the hardest things to do in business. So aren't you guys just setting people up for failure, <laughs> you telling them, yeah, it's easy, just go do the impossible. So what hope can you give people, what direction can you give people about this really, really hard thing of changing the culture of an organization? Well, it's true that you need, look, you do need champions. There's no question that you do. And the closer that you can get to the top, you know, senior executive leadership to champion this, there are companies that uh, do it from the beginning. I mean, I could use Herb Kelleher, at Southwest Airlines or, you know, Horst Schulze. There are any number of people and organizations that you can use as exemplars. And typically what you have had is a champion at the top who is disciplined, rigorous, willing to devote the time that's required to do it, willing to invest the resource that's necessary to do it, and, you know, willing to have serve as that spiritual as well as hands-on leader to make sure that the thinking from the top cascades through the rest of the enterprise. And it has to go through the rest of the enterprise. I'm often told by clients that, well, it has to start at customer support or it has to start with sales. And to me, that's a bit of balderdash. It really has to, as you say, it's cultural. And that means that it has to permeate the DNA of the entire organization, irrespective of function, irrespective of location, irrespective of level. And when you have that, and there are great examples where it happens, then there's a symphony involved that really, you know, it's really kind of magical. And realistically, that has to kind of start from the top. I agree with Michael. I think it is absolutely essential. It starts from the top. 
okay, is very difficult to change a culture midway, you know, from middle management or you definitely can't change it from the bottom up. It has to happen from the top. To be totally honest with you, I think there's two things. If you're in an organization where they're, and I've literally said this to customers, if you're in an organization where they're having this type of conversation and you think it's like my old organization where they say they put customers first, but they don't, I'd just leave because it's not going to change. I think that what you've got to do is it's got to change from the top. And the best model I've seen is the Kotler model for change. And just for people that haven't seen this stuff before, you can Google it. But there's got to be, Kotler talks about the first thing is uh, creating a sense of urgency. So you've got to create the burning platform, to mix my metaphors, and you've got to create that sense of urgency for why things need to change. You've then got to form a coalition. You've got to get people together and agree that this is the right thing for us to be doing. You've got to paint the picture of the future. So this is where we are today. This is where we need to go tomorrow. This is why, more importantly, tomorrow will be important for us. You've got to communicate that. I always remember talking to a CEO who had just been uh, promoted into that role in an electronics company in Europe. And I said to him, I said, what's the difference between your last job and being CEO? And he said, being CEO, he said, I have to say the same things 20 times a day. And what he was referring to was that constant message. And we've talked about this in the past, Ryan, about memory and repetition. That constant message of what we're doing, what's important, where are we going, you know, et cetera. The next step in the Kotler model is removing obstacles So, you know, getting all the obstacles out the way, creating short-term wins. If you turn around and go, the world's going to be fine in two years' time. After six months, everybody will be bored stiff and and want to change. You know, you then build on all those successes and you start to anchor those changes back. But the biggest thing I've learned over the years, and again, it probably doesn't need repeating, but it's actions speak louder than words. So as a leader, you need to be displaying the actions that you want your people to say and do and not just talk about it because people look at what you do. They don't necessarily listen to what you say. And so actions speak louder than words and you've got to be, you've really got to be committed. There's lots of organizations that need to change. There are few organizations that do change. And for me, you know, that's a lot because they're not undertaking these eight things and are not really committed to it. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big issue, basically, and one that people have got to move on to. I would just add briefly that, you know, for any organization, there has to be an economic financial benefit. And I think, you know, invoking the Kotler model Mm. is particularly important. Philip Kotler's training is he's an economist. That's how he started before he became the guru that he is in marketing. He started as an economist. And so when he lays out theories, he's always looking to see what the financial result is going to be. And can we sustain those results? Can we get continuity? And 
I'll go back to where we started. Linkage is a really powerful way to do it because now you've created an organizational, an enterprise-wide dynamic that focuses on stakeholders. And when you do, then value is going to be top of the list of things that you're working on. So, you know, Kotler, I think, is a particularly important, you know, his model is particularly important one to go back to. And I think the other thing, Ryan, that I would say is what people need to do is buy my book. Ah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Always be closing, Michael. Always be closing. Yeah. Yeah. Let each of you give your final thought on the matter, you know, just by way of endorsement of the idea. It's hard for me to even conceive of a successful customer-focused enterprise, a company with successful customer experiences that doesn't have engaged, happy customers. Like I, You can only kind of balance that for so long before it all falls apart. You, you need happy, engaged customers in order to make this work well. So with that, why don't you each give me one final parting thought on this general topic? I'll jump in and just say amen to all of that. There you go. <laughs> and the only other thing I would add is when you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about all this customer experience stuff, just take a step back and look internally in your organization and you'll be surprised how much all of this applies in the organization. And therefore, just plug for the book, go onto our website, go onto Amazon, and you can buy happy employees, make happy customers. And we talk about this, I talk about this in a lot more depth in the book. I hope you enjoy it and getting your feedback will be absolutely wonderful. So thanks very much for everyone's time. Michael, remind us again, the title of your book? Is Employee Ambassadorship. And again, on our website, you'll find the links for that as well. And anybody wants to talk about this stuff any further, Michael or I will be glad to have a conversation. Thank you both. Thank you, Ryan. Great job. Thanks very much, everyone. Talk to you next week. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.